0: chapter twenty five of the widow married a sequel to the widow barnaby by francis milton trollope this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty five a dinner party the plot thickens patty and her page reached bellevue terrace in safety but without meeting sir henry who to say truth was stretching his leave of absence to the very utmost to put off as long as possible the chance of any such rencontre but fortunately patty notwithstanding her early submission to the tender passion had nothing of the green and yellow nature in her disposition and reached the abode of her friend with a colour as fresh as a rose and in the highest spirits possible good morning miss matilda good morning miss louisa she began i should just like to know matilda how much you would choose to give for the very best news that ever you heard in all your born days would you give me your watch what do you mean patty demanded her friend with considerable agitation now can't you guess what i mean tell me honestly what you should call the best news you ever heard in your life never mind louisa speak out good gracious patty how you do torture me cruel cruel girl as if you did not know well enough without my telling you for heaven's sake let me know at once have you heard that Foxcroft is expected in town upon my honour and life i never heard any such thing matilda replied patty very demurely not all the full-blown fresh remembrances of the beautiful drawing-rooms in curzon street could restrain the indignation of miss matilda perkins on hearing these chilling words i wish to heaven you wouldn't come here miss o'donagough tormenting us to death with your absurd nonsense i really think you are old enough to know better she exclaimed and i returned patty laughing should have thought you are not only old enough but a great deal too old to quarrel with your best friend in such a hurry just because she wanted to have a bit of a joke oh dear me my dear miss patty i don't think for a moment that poor matilda wants to quarrel with you i am sure there is nothing further from her thoughts for she loves the very ground you walk on only you know my dear that her poor head is for ever running upon the name mentioned and therefore you must please excuse her said miss louisa i'll excuse her fast enough replied patty if she won't be such a fool and look so grumpy come matilda cheer up it is as true as the gospel that i did not hear foxcroft was expected but i never said that he wasn't come come screamed matilda in the shrillest voice that ever issued from the breast of a lady in love come patty surely it is impossible such happiness is a great deal too much to bear is it said patty nodding her head then mercy upon us miss louisa what will become of her when she hears that the gentleman is coming to dine with us on monday and that i am come with the page walking all the way after me as grand as possible to invite you both to come and meet him what do you think of that miss matilda what do i think of it oh my adored patty my heart feels too large for my bosom can you forgive me darling dearest girl think what my feelings must be at this moment may i believe your words my dearest dearest friend may i trust my ears foxcroft in town and i invited to meet him oh foxcroft foxcroft here poor miss matilda's emotions perfectly overpowered her and she threw herself on the sofa at full length with a sort of kicking movement in her feet that really looked quite convulsive poor dear girl exclaimed her sister opening a cupboard and taking out a small bottle of hartshorn it is too much for her smell this my dear let me rub your poor temples with it and suiting the action to the word she drew the cork from the little vial and receiving the pungent fluid upon her fingers began to apply it with much eagerness and much friction to the temples of her recumbent sister the remedy was effectual starting from the sofa and standing with more strength than the frightened louisa had given her credit for upon her feet she exclaimed rather hastily good gracious louisa what are you doing to me i shall have red patches all over my face and my eyes will be swelled out of my head for god's sake take that beastly stuff away i hate it you had better not send it away yet matilda said patty For if you begin kicking and sprawling at such a rate just because you heard that you were going to dine with the gentleman, what on earth will become of you when I go on and describe all the looks and the sighs and the hints and the blinks I got when I began talking of you? Did you indeed, my dear? cried Louisa with a mixture of astonishment and pleasure. Think of that, Matilda. Oh, my dear child, what a blessing it will be if it all comes right at last. It will, it will come right exclaimed matilda in a sort of ecstasy i know he loves me i saw it in every dear working feature on that last heart-breaking day when we walked together on the pier the rain came down in torrents the wind blew the sea dashed over us i shall never forget his countenance i am certain that every drop which reached his skin and i know he was wet through i am certain that every drop was an agony to him because of me here a pocket-handkerchief which might perhaps have wiped away tears produced by far less delightful feelings was drawn from its retreat under the sofa-cushion and pressed to the gentle lady's eyes oh dear oh dear don't cry so matilda said her affectionate sister looking very much disposed to weep for company i am sure it is enough to break one's heart to see how she does suffer about these little love-affairs but suppose this was to end in marriage after all matilda think of that my dear upon my word and honour miss o'donagough i think there seems more chance this time from what you say than ever i remember and i ought to be some judge we have had so many little things of the kind oh oh you say we do do you miss louisa replied patty looking very knowing what you have had your share too have you oh dear no not me miss patty i never had anything of the sort to happen to me in my life I said we because you know I am always so much interested about everything that happens to Matilda. Oh, no, thank God. I never had any troubles of that kind myself. But to be sure, I have suffered terribly at times about Matilda. Disappointments are such sad things you know, my dear. And gentlemen, I must say, do often behave very ill. Well, I'll be hanged if I think Foxcroft means to behave ill. But time will show, replied Paddy and now she added in a whisper i want you to come here matilda up to this window that i may talk to you a little about myself do you know that both papa and mamma have been at me to-day like two tigers because they don't think jack makes love to me fast enough if he's out of london he can't be in it that's all i say any more than he could be aboard the ship when he was gone away from it and yet you know as well as i do for i'm sure i've told you so fifty times that he kissed me at the very last moment and i found him true-hearted again didn't i when we met and now he kissed me again you know and so haven't i every reason to expect he'll come back true-hearted again unquestionably you have my dearest girl replied her friend it is nonsense to doubt it but old people i mean even elderly people are always suspicious i'm sure there's my poor dear sister there who is twenty years older in her thoughts and ways than she ought to be at her age i am quite positively sure that she has stopped very advantageous marriages for me over and over again only because she never thought things went on fast enough and was for ever suspecting that people meant nothing when i happened to know that they meant a good deal but thanks to you my darling patty i think we shall manage better this time dearest foxcroft how my heart seems to spring towards him did he look well patty was he as tall and elegant in his appearance as ever why as to that you know matilda i never did see any great beauty in him but that's your affair not mine and lucky it is that tastes differ. as for tallness indeed he is just as tall as ever but i think his nose looked monstrous large oh patty love is love there's no accounting for it in any other way but i give you my honour that i think foxcroft one of the very handsomest men i ever saw well my dear so much the better and i dare say he thinks you one of the very handsomest women but now i must go or else mamma will say that i shan't come again as she did last time not that it much signifies to be sure for here i am you see stop one moment patty replied her friend you must positively tell me what i shall wear on monday do you think i look best with my hair in bands or in ringlets i don't think it makes much difference matilda but perhaps bands will be best because your hair is rather thin you know and mine's so monstrous thick that it will make it look worse it's very easy to fill it up with few flowers you know i should not like to have such a mop as yours my dear unless indeed it curled as beautifully as yours does but of course patty everybody knows that you have got the very finest hair in the world said miss matilda luckily correcting herself after this amende, the friends parted as tenderly as they met and were in an excellent frame of mind on the following monday for showing off to advantage the graces of the female character when warmed by the gentle influence of friendship for they did not fail to caress each other at every convenient opportunity this eventful monday proved a day of joy to more female hearts than one for on the morning of it mr o'donagough once more called at sir henry seymour's club to inquire for him and with better fortune than before met him at the door of it the pleasure which this meeting occasioned to the elder gentleman was not altogether attributable to fatherly affection for he felt some tolerably strong misgivings as to the correctness of the interpretation put by his young daughter upon the gentleman's feelings towards her but this caused but little difference in the earnestness of his wish to cultivate the young baronet's acquaintance to have caught such a husband for his daughter would beyond all doubt have been very agreeable but as he wisely remembered patty had lost no time yet and the young and independent sir henry playing whist with him was an image very nearly if not quite as agreeable to his imagination as that of his making love to his daughter besides it was evident that his endeavouring to obtain the former was far from being likely to impede the latter scheme and he therefore put forth his best got-up and most beguiling style of salutation and after a few friendly words expressive of long-felt kindness but cautiously free from any allusion to their nautical acquaintance he invited him in a very gentlemanlike off-hand style to come and dine with him mr o'donagough perceived that the young man hesitated and very skilfully changing the subject instead of pressing for an answer began talking of general hubert and his family deploring the heavy loss produced by their absence and joyously anticipating their return having expatiated very eloquently upon this theme for about five minutes he resumed the former one saying carelessly well you'll dine with us then my dear sir henry by the way do you ever play a rubber it seems quite the fashion among the young men nowadays and if you ever do such a thing i'll promise you one to-night now sir henry seymour really did know how to play a rubber very well for so young a man and moreover was very fond of it though without any propensity whatever for gambling yet too indifferent about money to be very scrupulous as to the stakes it was not however this love of whist which made mr o'donagough's invitation appear incalculably less disagreeable after he had heard of the rubber than before for he remembered in a moment that when a man is playing whist he can hardly be suspected of making love and that if poor patty could be taught to let him behave himself discreetly it would be exceedingly desirable to keep on such friendly terms with mr o'donagough as should render it an act of treachery were he to betray either to the family of general hubert or to his guardian sir edward Stevenson, the secret which he had confided to him under this impression he now readily accepted the invitation not failing to intimate as he did so that he was a decided whist-player whenever he found a card-table ready to admit him Patty could hardly have been more delighted had the young man addressed her with, Will you marry me? than was her papa on hearing this declaration. But much too good a tactician to permit the feeling to be perceptible, he nodded an easy, sans souciante good day, adding, At six o'clock then, and departed mr o'donagough's next care was to secure a proper fourth and in this he succeeded to his entire satisfaction unearthing one of those dry-looking adust roman-nosed individuals who by dint of originally procuring well-made garments and then preserving them inviolably clean are often declared to be very gentlemanlike looking men by those who have not the faculty of interpreting the hieroglyphics of the mind as traced on the countenance what mr armondyle's fortune or profession might be it was no particular person's business to inquire and the question if asked must have remained unanswered as nobody knew anything at all about it the only information which he ever volunteered concerning himself was that he was a bachelor liked a sober rubber now and then and was pleased to be invited to dinner where there were no woodcocks he belonged to most of the fashionable unprofessional clubs but was never known to take any bodily refreshment at any of them he wore galoshes and a very large cloak in bad weather together with a substantial silk umbrella having his name engraven on it but nobody ever saw him use any conveyance at his own expense at least except his own legs yet somehow or other nobody ever saw him either wet or splashed or the precise nicety of his dress and person in any way deranged no human being ever heard him say a silly thing it is true he did not talk much carefully avoiding all subjects upon which men divide themselves into parties so that his opinions were for the most part as unknown as his birth parentage education and means of living even the yawning gulf which divides the conservative from the destructive seemed a broad highway for him for though nobody ever dreamed of accusing him of a change in principle or opinion each party fancied he belonged to them in turn and as neither could give any better reason for thinking so than their own arbitrary interpretation of a quiet smile or a gentle movement of the hand each were at liberty to believe so still one or two very old acquaintances indeed who fancied that they knew him better have been heard to declare that they did not believe mr armandyle would draw off his right glove to prevent a revolution or his left to insure it he knew mankind well enough they said to be very sure that let what would happen there would always be somewhere or other a game at something or other to amuse idle men who had nothing particular to do and with this assurance he would be well contented to go on shuffling and cutting to his dying day without troubling himself to ascertain who was the better player and who the worse in the great game of politics in which he had never been invited to take a hand it was sometimes gossiped in the clubs that Armandyle had lost immensely or that Armandyle had won immensely but neither the one report nor the other appeared to have the slightest effect on his maniere d'etre he was ever the same neat placid polite person whom nothing had occurred to disarrange and whom it would be extremely difficult to discompose this gentleman made the dinner-party at mr o'donagough's amount to eight and as of these four were gentlemen and four ladies miss louisa perkins was led to observe that she had never in her life seen any dinner-table so perfectly well arranged of the entertainment it is unnecessary to speak at large mrs o'donagough had done her very best mr wright furnished the wines which mr foxcroft took upon himself to declare were excellent and yet the gentleman repaired to the drawing-room the very moment mrs o'donagough sent to say that the coffee was ready a good old custom which mr o'donagough declared it was his intention invariably to observe unless some very young men happened to dine with him and then he should certainly relax a little he said As it was never fair to come the old codger over boys, and if they liked to be a little tipsy, he should always let them be so. Sir Henry Seymour, however, did not appear to be classed under this category. He produced no alteration in the ordinary arrangement, and if it was even intended by way of experiment that he too should get a little tipsy before the card-playing began, this first visit was not considered as a fitting time for it. Though Patty was seated at table next to her darling Jack, she was the one to whom the entertainment seemed the longest and the least agreeable for the young man though good-humoured and even kind in his manner of addressing her made no nearer approximation to love-making in his manner than if she had been sixty and he fourscore her father perceived this as well as herself and it was immediately determined in the little committee on ways and means which sat for ever in his brain that the young man should pay for the obduracy of his heart at the card-table not indeed on the present occasion that would be contrary to all the rules and regulations made and provided in such cases but steadfastly purposed was mr o'donagough that if it should finally be proved that sir henry seymour was not in love with his daughter he should pay sharp damages for his indifference miss louisa perkins untroubled by any passion tender or otherwise smiled and ate and smiled again mr armondile endeavoured to make himself comfortable which was indeed now as at every other moment of his existence his primary object while mrs o'donagough who had conceived a sort of mystical idea that he was a person of consequence poured out civilities upon him with a copious profusion which no sans-froid less perfect than that of mr armondile could have stood unmoved his most animated reply however was but a very slight inclination of the head but as of course might have been anticipated the most animated group in the party consisted of miss matilda perkins mr foxcroft and the blushing troop of little loves and graces which were playing between them it was in truth a labour of love the toilette of miss matilda on that auspicious day and equally captious and curious were to inquire with a critical spirit either into the time consumed or the effect produced by it Suffice it to say, that her sister, in the short moment that was left for review before stepping into their hackney-coach, pronounced that she looked, Very nice indeed! The result was all that the gentle Matilda's heart required, for from the manner and indeed from the words of Mr. Foxcroft, it appeared incontestable that he thought she looked very nice too. Obedient to the hint of his patron, this gentleman made the very best use of every moment that preceded his being called bon gré malgré to take his place at the card-table never to be sure did the most exemplary saint invoke maledictions on the fifty-two offending elements which combined to form the hateful abomination called a pack of cards with more heartfelt zeal than did the dejected matilda as she sat forsaken and forlorn on a couch which commanded the fullest possible view of the form and countenance she loved poor lady surely no female heart under similar circumstances can fail to feel for her more moving accidents may assuredly be found to employ the historian's pen sorrows which on the face of them bear marks of deeper tragedy may be recounted and a reader's sympathy be claimed for sufferings more fatal but for pure perfect unmitigated vexation of spirit it could hardly be surpassed a lover within a quarter of an inch a declared lover to be sitting in the same room with a young lady of thirty-six and yet absolutely precluded from the possibility of uttering a single word to her even the pleasure of looking unremittingly in his face was not long allowed her for mr o'donagough who naturally felt that the payment of his dinner was not to be risked by the presence of any ladies old young or middle-aged no sooner by the course of cutting lost mr armondile as a partner then he unceremoniously requested the female part of the company to establish themselves in the other drawing-room a piece of tyranny against which there was no appeal but which made the four ladies rehearse in chorus that well-known sentiment of the fair namely that there is no spectacle which the eye can rest upon throughout the whole surface of the globe called earth one thousand parts so detestable as seeing the only four men in company sit down to whist the banished ladies poor things naturally fell into two tete-a-tete in one of which all the minuter circumstances of mrs o'donagough's present and approaching greatness were voluminously rehearsed to miss louisa's patient ear while in the other the younger ladies resumed the eclogue style whispering rhapsodies respecting their beloved ones the party altogether however produced more of the results wished for than generally happens where expectation has been so highly wrought our poor patty being in fact the only one disappointed essentially mr o'donagough had made up his mind to be equally well contented by sir henry seymour's showing symptoms of love-making to his daughter or money losing to himself and therefore when he received six five-pound notes from the young baronet together with a very cordial declaration of their having had an excellent rubber he was not disappointed his lady too much occupied in tasting her corners as she called devouring the compounds of grease and garlic of which she had superintended the preparation to have time for closely watching the proceedings of her daughter and sir henry felt perfectly satisfied because she perceived he was talking to her and this together with the unwearied admiration of miss louisa at everything she saw and everything she heard sufficed to make her declare that it was a most delightful dinner-party mr Armondyle shared the winnings and the satisfaction of his host being too well pleased at finding a new house to dine at to permit his being critical at the dinner miss louisa ate a great deal of apple-pie and custard to which she was particularly attached felt conscious that she was a prodigious favourite with the amphitronia of the feast and better than all began to entertain very serious hopes that her poor dear darling tender-hearted matilda would get a husband at last after all the quantity of cruel disappointments which the perfidious false-heartedness of men had made her suffer sir henry seymour was quite as well pleased as any of them for while the skilful o'donagough contrived to make him constantly remember his own near connection with general hubert he set him completely at his ease respecting patty whom the wily father spoke of as a mere child but one greatly petted and beloved by mrs hubert and her daughter at the moment when this affectionate partiality was dwelt upon sir henry seymour might have been seen as anybody watched him to fix his eye upon the object of it with a very naive expression of astonishment but his own superlatively sweet temper succeeded after a short struggle with his common sense to convince him that it was all very natural considering how very kind-hearted and affectionate the poor girl was and how perfectly impossible it was for her to help being vulgar but general as the satisfaction of the company seemed to be for even poor patty convinced herself before the end of the evening that the difference in jack was only because there were so many plaguy people watching them general as was this satisfaction it was nothing in comparison to the heartfelt happiness of the lady and gentleman for whom the entertainment had been originally planned the feelings of mr foxcroft who as he meditated on the independence dwelt on by mr o'donagough became what might truly be termed desperately attached to the fair matilda were gratified in the greatest degree by perceiving that however favourable the impression he had made upon her at brighton he had rather gained than lost by absence for not even in the last trying moments when they had got wet through together on the pier had she shown such unequivocal marks of attachment as when he trod upon her toe during that day's dinner of the state of miss matilda herself it would really be difficult to speak at length without deviating from the necessary sobriety of prose so elevating entrancing soul-subduing were the emotions which took possession of her during the ineffable two hours of their juxtaposition at the dinner-table nothing in short could in all ways have succeeded better than this opening of the o'donagough's london campaign and the busy future rose before the eyes of all decked in the very brightest colours and pregnant with all sorts of agreeable possibilities chapter twenty five